Chapter Twenty Nine of Characters of Shakespeare's Plays by William Hazlitt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. As you like it. Shakespeare has here converted the forest of Arden into another Arcadia, where they quote fleet the time carelessly as they did in the Golden World. It is the most ideal of any of this author's plays. It is a pastoral drama in which the interest arises more out of the sentiments and characters than out of the actions or situations. It is not what is done, but what is said, that claims our attention. Nursed in solitude, quote, under the shade of melancholy boughs, the imagination grows soft and delicate, and the wit runs riot and idleness, like a spoiled child that is never sent to school. Caprice and fancy reign and revel here, and stern necessity is banished to the court. The mild sentiments of humanity are strengthened with thought and leisure. The echo of the cares and noise of the world strikes upon the ear of those, quote, who have felt them knowingly, softened by time and distance. Quote, they hear the tumult and are still. The very air of the place seems to breathe a spirit of philosophical poetry, to stir the thoughts, to touch the heart with pity, as the drowsy forest rustles to the sighing gale. Never was there such beautiful moralizing, equally free from pedantry or petulance. And this their life, exempt from public haunts, finds tongues in trees, books in the running brooks, sermons in stones, and good in everything. Jacques is the only purely contemplative character in Shakespeare. He thinks and does nothing. His whole occupation is to amuse his mind and he is totally regardless of his body and his fortunes. He is the prince of philosophical idlers. His only passion is thought. He sets no value upon anything but as it serves as food for reflection. He can suck melancholy out of a song as a weasel sucks eggs. The motley fool who morals on the time is the greatest prize he meets with in the forest. He resents Orlando's passion for Rosalind, as some disparagement of his own passion for abstract truth and leaves the duke, as soon as he is restored to his sovereignty, to seek his brother out, who has quitted it, and turned hermit. Out of these convertites there is much matter to be heard and learnt. Within the sequestered and romantic glades of the forest of Arden, they find leisure to be good and wise, or to play the fool and fall in love. Rosalind's character is made up of sportive gaiety and natural tenderness. Her tongue runs the faster to conceal the pressure at her heart. She talks herself out of breath, only to get deeper in love. The coquetry with which she plays with her lover and the double character which she has to support is managed with the nicest address. How full of voluble, laughing grace is all her conversation with Orlando. In heedless mazes running, with wanton haste and giddy cunning. How full of real fondness and pretended cruelty is her answer to him when he promises to love her, quote, forever and a day. Say a day without the ever. No, no, Orlando. Men are April when they woo. December when they wed. Maids are May when they are maids. But the sky changes when they are wives. I will be more jealous of thee than a barbary cock-pigeon over his hen. More clamorous than a parrot against rain. More newfangled than an ape. More giddy in my desires than a monkey. I will weep for nothing like Diana in the fountain and I will do that when you are disposed to be merry. I will laugh like a hyena, and that when you are inclined to sleep. Orlando, 
but will my rosalind do so rosalind by my life she will do as i do the silent and retired character of celia is a necessary relief to the provoking loquacity of rosalind nor can anything be better conceived or more beautifully described than the mutual affection between the two cousins we still have slept together rose at an instant learned played eat together and wheresoe'er we went like juno swans still we went coupled and inseparable the unrequited love of silvius for phoebe shows the perversity of this passion in the commonest scenes of life and the rubs and stops which nature throws in its way where fortune has placed none touchstone is not in love but he will have a mistress as a subject for the exercise of his grotesque humour and to show his contempt for the passion by his indifference about the person he is a rare fellow he is a mixture of the ancient cynic philosopher with the modern buffoon and turns folly into wit and wit into folly just as the fit takes him his courtship of audrey not only throws a degree of ridicule on the state of wedlock itself but he is equally an enemy to the prejudices of opinion in other respects the lofty tone of enthusiasm which the duke and his companions in exile spread over the stillness and solitude of a country life receives a pleasant shock from touchstone's sceptical determination of the question Corin, and how like you this shepherd's life mr touchstone clown truly shepherd in respect of itself it is a good life but in respect that it is a shepherd's life it is not in respect that it is solitary i like it very well but in respect that it is private it is a very vile life now in respect it is in the fields it pleaseth me well but in respect it is not in the court it is tedious as it is a spare life look you it fits my humour but as there is no more plenty in it it goes much against my stomach zemenin's celebrated work on solitude discovers only half the sense of this passage there is hardly any of shakespeare's plays that contain a greater number of passages that have been quoted in books of extracts or a greater number of phrases that have become in a manner proverbial if we were to give all the striking passages we should give half the play we will only recall a few of the most delightful to the reader's recollection such are the meeting between orlando and adam the exquisite appeal of orlando to the humanity of the duke and his company to supply him with food for the old man and their answer the duke's description of a country life and the account of jacques moralizing on the wounded deer his meeting with touchstone in the forest his apology for his own melancholy and his satirical vein and the well-known speech on the stages of human life the old song of blow blow thou winter's wind rosalind's description of the marks of a lover and of the progress of time with different persons the picture of the snake wreathed round oliver's neck while the lioness watches her sleeping prey and touchstone's lecture to the shepherd his defence of cuckolds and panegyric on the virtues of an if all of these are familiar to the reader there is one passage of equal delicacy and beauty which may have escaped him and with it we shall close our account of as you like it it is phoebe's description of ganymede at the end of the third act think not i love him though i ask for him tis but a peevish boy yet he talks well but what care i for words yet words do well when he that speaks them pleases those that hear it is a pretty youth not very pretty but sure he's proud and yet his pride becomes him he'll make a proper man 
the best thing in him is his complexion and faster than his tongue did make offence his eye did heal it up he is not very tall yet for his years he's tall his leg is but so-so and yet tis well there was a pretty redness in his lip a little riper and more lusty red than that mixed in his cheek twas just the difference betwixt the constant red and mingled damask there be some women sylvius had they marked him in parcels as i did would have gone near to fall in love with him but for my part i love him not nor hate him not and yet i have more cause to hate him than to love him for what had he to do to chide at me End of As You Like It